0: Joining us on this episode of Awkward Insurance, Kat and I are so ready to have a conversation with our guest today about the industry's talent pool and what his take is on finding and hiring much needed, energetic, and enthusiastic talent in this dwindling pool of ours. He is a dual designation holder with the National Alliance with both a CIC and CRM designation. He is a principal at Florida Risk Partners the founder of Killing Commercial Insurance Sales and the managing partner of Catalyst Funding Solutions, also the author of the international best-selling book, The Extra Two Minutes, and a new book coming out on its way that I really want to talk about. Most importantly, though, he is the husband to his best friend and wife, and what I can only assume is an amazing father to his four children. David Carruthers is our guest today, the host or co-host rather of Power Producers Podcast, which is why I'm super excited and already getting some big chills, with co-host Kyle Hauk. I said it right. David, thank you so much for being here today. I say a lot that we are so excited, but oh my gosh, am I so excited to have you in front of my eyeballs right now.
1: Wow. Like, I don't even know how to react to that. That's Awesome. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled to be here. Wow
0: is great. <laughs> <laughs> I am so so I want to say thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. But man, you're hanging out everywhere. I can't click maybe two or three times in any direction without coming across David Carruthers. It's almost like Facebook when you click on something and now you're being inundated with that. I'm just being hit all over the place with David Carruthers.
1: It's amazing how much power you have when you understand retargeting and algorithms on social platforms.
0: Oh, crazy.
2: That that algorithms way over my head. Yeah, we <laughs> we've actually requested a meeting with someone to teach us those algorithms. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a science to it, right? Like it's, it's not an accident. It all has to do with your cadence, what you post, how frequently you post and um you know, I got a little secret sauce in there. We use we use a software product that analyzes all of our social platforms and posts at exactly the time when we get the most traffic historically using AI to do that. So awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: So, David, tell us a little bit about where you've been and where you're going. Most importantly, how did you get from Win Dixie to
1: this <laughs>
0: <laughs> to this powerhouse? person sitting in front of me today
1: so it's crazy literally everything that i do reflects around the fact that i spent as much time as i did in in retail right you learn customer service you learn how to overcome objections you learn how to deal with the general public at their absolute worst i mean i i I think everybody should do this but i can at least assure you that my four children will do this and that is before they do anything else in life they're going to get a job in grocery, restaurants, or retail, and they're gonna to have to hold it for at least two years. I'll incent them in a way that'll make them want to do that in addition to their paycheck, but I want them to learn how to deal with people because that's what this industry is all about, right? And I was, I was you talk about an industry that's depleted of talent. I mean, try going into a grocery store. Like, I literally went into Winn Dixie and thought I was gonna be the next Kurt Warner. I had come out of playing college baseball, blew my arm out. And I show up and think, oh, I'll just get a job stocking and everything will be good. And in two years, I'll be pitching in the, in the pros or whatever. But in 18 months, I was running a store. I had never even worked in a grocery store. And 18 months later, I'm responsible for a $16 million a year operation, soup to nuts. And when they gave that, wow. they gave that opportunity to me, they told me, they said, look, we're giving you this store, David, because we don't think you can screw it up any worse than it already is. We want you to learn on this. <laughs> and if you learn- how." <laughs>
0: the dixie Yeah all. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's crazy because where we were in Birmingham at the time, we had 47% market share. Like Winn-Dixie was where you shopped. Like right. Publix is down here. I moved down here and it's like, hmm, Winn-Dixie. I don't know if I want anybody to know I work there or not. So but, it,
0: here in Arkansas, we had the Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we had have those.
1: Like one
2: or two of those left. Yeah. We had those in
1: Birmingham too, but you know. It came,
2: yeah. But Publix is the one thing Floridians oh, can be proud of. So we got to 100%. Take
1: that in Key West. <laughs> But otherwise, you know, I, I learned total P&L responsibility. I learned HR function, how to hire, how to fire. I didn't have HR support at the store level when we got an EEOC complaint, whether I was responsible for it or not. I was the one as a 22-year-old that had to comply with that. I had to go sit on the witness stand and be deposed and do all of these oh, things. Wow. So it makes it very easy for me when I'm going out and talking to a business owner or a CFO or a controller in a middle market company. Have operational discussions that have absolutely nothing to do with insurance, which then gil- builds trust and credibility for me, and the insurance becomes a natural, a natural play.
0: Absolutely, I want to point out something real quick um, that had you, from a, a more recent podcast that we've just done and an experience that I've just had, and um, it's kind of a sidestep. But from being in a conference with college students and one student in particular not having the confidence that she didn't have an internship, but she still had some experience on her resume, I just want to point out this right here is what I was talking to this student about, that your experience may not initially be directly related to what you're currently doing. She wanted to be in the insurance and risk management field, maybe underwriting, maybe she doesn't really know. But the only experience that she had that was on her resume as I was reviewing this with her was being an RA, a student RA. And you know, to the point to her uh, resume, I told her, take those skills out from underneath and tell me about your experience, what that meant to you. And that's what you just did. You're using those transferable skills that you learned in something like the Winn-Dixie and how you got thrown into the fire basically at such a young age and had to learn all of these operational, everything that came with it. And you utilize that skill and man, you've turned it into something amazing and you're doing so awesome right now. And so I just, I just, as you were talking, that came to my mind just then. And I wanted to point that out. The transferable skills, no matter what your experience is, pay attention to those and really hone in on those when you're looking for opportunities, hopefully in the insurance industry. So this industry is for everybody, not just, not just people that are interested in insurance. You can find a niche somewhere. So thank you for triggering
2: that. Well, because honestly, how many people, honestly, how many people apply for jobs not having any experience in the insurance industry that are genuinely interested in insurance. So,
1: I had no interest in it at all when I got my job in does? the insurance industry. That's not what I was looking <laughs> to do, right? I, I just simply wanted to find a job where if I was going to work 100 hours a week, I made more for working 100 as opposed to having a diminishing hourly return. You know, right. When I was in retail, I was salaried and bonus. But if I worked 100 hours for every hour I worked, I was making less per hour because my income was basically fixed. In the insurance industry, I'm in control of my income. So if I work more, I'm going to produce more. But the beauty of it is you don't even have to do that, right? I, I, when I, my first year in the insurance industry, I worked 50 hours a week. I felt like I was on vacation and I was working twice as many hours as my competition. I wrote more business because I answered the phone at 4 o'clock on Friday or on Saturday at 10 o'clock than I did at any other time during the week. And I just made myself available. And to me, I felt like I was on vacation because I was already conditioned to work so much more. And I'm not advocating that you need to do that as a producer. I'm just simply saying, if you're new in the industry and you're hitting the grind, hit the grind hard for two or three years and you build the foundation that you can just be on autopilot literally the rest of the time you're in the industry because you have the systems working for you that you spent the time to build when you first started out.
0: That's amazing. I love that message. Let's talk about your books real quick. I've been stalking you a little bit. And I love the post that you recently had. <laughs> Tell, okay. So you, you have the international bestseller, the extra two minutes. Give me, the, give me the skinny on that one real quick before we go into the other one.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the short version of that is it basically talks about, it really only takes about two more minutes of your time to do something the right way or to do it better than anybody else. That if you just stop and you can do that, you're going to be a huge differentiator in your sales game. So an example would be when I go out to do a cold call marketing drop on a middle market account. If I don't meet with the decision maker and make headway, the very first thing that I do is I go out by the sign and I take a video of myself that I'm gonna turn around and send to that person so that it's a personalized message letting them know that I missed them, right? And I wanted to make sure that we connected and let them know I'm a real person who's trying to solicit them. Or another one on LinkedIn, rather than me connecting with somebody and then immediately typing them a message that they have to look and read, I use the LinkedIn voice recorder or the video recorder. So I send them a personalized message from my phone and they understand that with all the bots and noise that are happening on LinkedIn, this is a real guy. This is somebody who's taken the time to do yeah. this. And it doesn't take more than just a little bit of time to, to, to put that together. And you know, it's an interesting deal because I've been selling stuff since I was eight years old. You know, I mean, that's the God's honest truth. And I, I, when I wrote the book, I didn't realize how much my overall life experience, going all the way back to the kid, you know, and, and it's funny, I talk about this in the book. I moved to Birmingham, love, or actually, no, it was when I was in, living in um, Pennsylvania. Lady across the street had an Osage orange tree. They called them monkey balls. They looked like these spherical brains and they smelled like oranges. I found out that she didn't like them in her yard. So I got her to pay me for cleaning them out of her yard. And then I took one to show and tell and found out how much all the other kids liked it. And then I realized, oh, I can get paid for taking them out of her yard and then turn around and sell them. To the kids at school who want to have one, <laughs> and you know, I talk about that as I move through the, the the forward of the book and the migration. But you know, I was on a uh, podcast right after the book came out, or shortly after the book came out, where the the host did multiple episodes where he was interviewing me chapter by chapter to really deep dive into it. And we got to a point in the book one time where he just stopped and he said, "Do you realize that literally the process you were using back?" when you sold satellite dishes in West Virginia door to door when you were in your early 20s is exactly the same process you use to sell with total cost of risk to middle market accounts. And I'd never looked at it and thought about it that way, but he's 100% right. I just took something that I knew worked to sell and I modified it to make it work in the role that I'm in now. And it's been absolutely crazy, but it was a fun project to put that book together. I just sort of did it on a whim and really didn't, think too much about it, and it kind of took off a little bit, and I've had a lot of good feedback from it, but, you know, I'm really actually more excited about the one that's coming out now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love the premise of the book, and I didn't know you had that one. I know about the one that's coming out, but I I really want to get the extra two minutes, and I think it's probably just because I'm a mom, and I tell my kids, like, if you just would have taken two more minutes to do this the right way, you wouldn't be so mad at me right now because I just grounded you. <laughs> from not not doing what you were supposed to do right
1: well that's exactly where the title came from right
0: yeah Now that's awesome so the new book you have coming out i'm not gonna give away the title just yet but the when i found out about it it was because of a picture that you had posted of you <laughs> uh you basically getting trashed by your kids with grass clippings <laughs> and dirt, uh, yeah, and and the whole and so the whole awesome. like I think the caption to it was I think my neighbors must think I'm crazy because you I think mowed the lawn in your business attire.
1: I did. Yeah. Tell us
0: about the book and how how this uh, this hopefully imagery that we just set up for it that you're like your kids were throwing dirt at your face and your arms and your shirt and you were just drenched in sweat and man it was awesome.
1: So anything I do has got multiple layers to it. People think that they figured me out and then I go in a completely different direction and they haven't really figured me out. But um, you know, the title of the book is The Dirty 130 and it's sort of from the premise of you've got the 75 hard, you've got whole 30, you've got all of these different challenges and things that are happening physically or whatever else, but there's never really been anything that sort of quantified a challenge around the behaviors for the sales process. And it's not even insurance industry specific sales process in general. And so the premise is that 130 days is six months worth of working days. And if you can commit to something for that amount of time, you're going to build the basis to change the trajectory of your career really forever. right? And so there's going to be the theme 130 throughout the book. There's all kinds of stuff that you need to do 130 of or whatever but it's going to be a roadmap for anybody who's in sales to follow. And if they follow what we're talking about and maybe throw a little extra two minutes in on the side, it's going to be a big help for them. But what you're referring to with the video, um, you know, I, I visualized what I wanted the cover to be before I ever uh, got involved in, in writing the book. I knew what I wanted it to be. The only thing I didn't do that I originally wanted was I wanted to rip the sleeves out of the shirt, but I'm too cheap to do that. I didn't want to completely ruin the shirt. So I'm happy to report the shirt that we trashed is actually back in the rotation and crystal clean thanks to Tide Dry Cleaners. But I wanted to (laughs) set it up the right way and I wanted it to look like that I had been out laboring and that I was dirty and sweaty and filthy and all of this stuff. And I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put on a white dress shirt. I'm going to go out and cut the grass in it. So it wasn't even that I was like cutting it in all business attire. I was wearing gym shorts and tennis shoes and then a white button down dress shirt to cut the grass in Florida. And you know, then I realized, okay, this isn't going to be enough. So we had a huge pile of dirt and grass clippings and I do my best to include my kids in literally 100% of what I do. I want them to be a part of the business. I want them to be a part of any of my other opportunities or things that I do. So I told Ethan and Caroline, this is your shot. I need, you to, I need you to throw dirt at me. So, of course, Caroline, my absolutely perfect daughter and youngest child, threw the first handful of dirt at me and immediately started bawling because oh, she thought she hurt oh, daddy. Oh, bless so her heart. I had, to stop, yeah, I had to stop and console her. And then when you see the actual video that I posted, you can see she <laughs> got over it pretty quick. So, yeah, I let the kid, I I was sweaty, filthy after cutting the grass, had the kids throw dirt all over me put on a tie, Photoshop the tattoos on my forearms and, uh, the rest is history.
0: That's awesome. I love that so much. So where can listeners find your book? Is it out yet?
1: No, it's going to come out in the, in the uh, first part of 2022. If I get a wild hair, I may have it ready for, you know, by Christmas time, but I'm not going to hold myself to that standard. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying 2022 so that I can get finished writing it for all practical purposes.
0: <laughs> no, that's awesome. I can't wait for it. And I like you were saying, you know, all the different fads that come out in terms of dieting and everything, the dirty 130, and then you've got your extra two minutes. So in my head, I was like the dirty 130
1: plus two. Yeah, there you go. It you is got very it. I, hey, I can sell a combo pack on Amazon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty 130 plus two, here you go. Yeah, and I'm actually,
1: with that one, I'm gonna do like a workbook slash journal that comes out with it because I want people journaling for those 130 days, talking about what they're planning on doing at the beginning of the week and then sort of the recap, what'd you do good, what'd you not do good and then putting out those activities and actually you know, visualizing and seeing it that they've they've completed what they needed to or that they didn't so that we can push them to do better in the next week.
0: So I have a question. Um, You mentioned producers and sales a lot. On this podcast in particular, we try to give a little bit of focus to account managers, support staff, the family behind those who are driving that business and the ones that keep all that business afloat. This book, and how motivational it sounds, to be honest with you, do you see that it's got any kind of market with account managers and
1: sales support and all? So I will be unpopular and tell you, no, I don't think that it does have an application there, but- what I will tell you is that I'm happy to talk about the family that keeps the business afloat as much as you want, because that is a major problem in our industry, in my opinion. I think that there's a gap between sales and service and agency principles allow it to exist and it's absolute garbage that they do. It shouldn't ever happen. So that's one of the reasons why when I launched Florida Risk, I decided that I would have a very clear path to equity for everybody in the organization as opposed to just the producers. Typically, partnership in a firm is, is reserved for the people that go out and produce. And in my mind, they are equals. And so there are very few zero tolerance policies at Florida Risk. One of them is if you lie or steal to me. The other one is if we fight with account managers and producers. I'll cut them loose, both of them. So um, you know, we've built a culture around collaboration and teamwork all of our meetings, you know, we have our segmented service and sales meetings, but we also have a sales and service meeting together every week so that everybody can air out whatever the issues are. And I mean we're a we're a family, so families fight sometimes, but it's not it's not the same thing that I've experienced as I've worked in other agencies prior to launching mine. That's just something that I believe in, you know, with the people that we have in I don't want to call it back a house because that sounds bad, but in, in a support role more than a production role.
0: Yeah. I lean towards the, the terminology team members and teammates. I hate terms like managerial and, and the front of house, back of house, all of that. So I mean, they're all front of house. You, Your right. clients are calling them every day just because their faces aren't in front of them. So yeah. No, thank you for that. Thank you for explaining that that culture, building that culture and protecting that part of your, your team and what you're growing is important to you. As an account manager and where most of my experience is, sometimes I feel like where they're the forgotten kids of the industry. So thanks. Thanks for putting that in the forefront and letting us know that that's one of your serious no-nos.
1: Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we try to encourage them as much as we can and include them as much as we can. So, you know, my CSRs and account managers are always welcome to go on appointments. I encourage the producers to take them. I think that you know, for any other reason, l- uh, lack of any other reason, they're more thorough, right? right. Producers miss stuff. They're not good note takers. They don't necessarily hear because they like to speak. And when you take an account manager with you, they end up giving you a completely different perspective. And I don't mean this to be a politically incorrect statement, but men and women process things different. And typically, women are in the account manager role. And I disagree <laughs> with that, too, by the way. But, um, a woman's perspective, has, I cannot tell you the number of times in my sales career by having a seasoned female account manager on an appointment with me has saved me from yeah. getting a deal because they saw something that I yeah. completely missed. And I think it's good.
2: Well, and oftentimes too, it's usually the account managers that have the developed relationships with the underwriters as well. Or the client. So the account, ma- yeah, or the clients. And so it's the account managers that are going to be the the ones best positioned to sell that risk to the carrier. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, you know, just in
0: terms of going on appointments with producers at the same time, it just it helps if it for the whole account, if when you've got the whole picture, when you understand the relationship, when you hear the conversations, when there might be some subtlety that's there between the producer and the account and the account manager can carry that forward and can just really round that out. Um, so I met you, I had the privilege of being a fly on the wall at the Insurers of Tennessee Young Agents Conference. That's where, yeah, that whole situation for me, there. that was a powerhouse group of folks. And I have been trying to meet each one of you almost individually at times. But then when I saw that every single one of you were going to be in the same place, it's like, hello, can I go to that? Let's, I felt like I was wedding <laughs> crashing because I'm, I'm not a young agent at the Tennessee insurers.
1: <laughs> me, hey, me either. No. no <laughs>
0: at least I'm
1: in good company. Right.
0: You know, and even when I was reading, like, okay, either way, when it, when I was reading about it and their characteristics for what qualifies as a young agent age-wise, as well as, you know, experience, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it's funny. I got back. My wife asked me what qualifies you to be a young agent. I said, I have absolutely no idea other than the fact I'm 100% certain. I
0: I think for them, it was under 40 or in the industry for less than five years is what it was. So I'm still under 40, but I'm getting there. And I thought, oh, my God, it was almost an identity crisis for me that I might not be considered a young agent here pretty soon. So that it was so fun though I got to hang out in the back. I didn't really want to stir any up because I wanted those young agents to really get the benefit of everybody that was there and, and me not detract or take away from any of your time there. But you had some really fun points about you, just our industry and where I focused in on you was your hiring practices and just and, and how that works for you. And I'd really like for you to go through some of that. When I got with you and attacked you in a hallway, I don't think I attacked you. I was very diplomatic. I just, I should have was really timid because I mean, this is David Carruthers, Power Producers podcast host, right? And I'm, I'm just me. It's just like, hey.
1: Two idiots in a microphone can start a podcast. I'm living me proof. Me too.
0: <laughs> so it was more like, a, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about your hiring practices, but specifically we have some college programs. And having just come back from this conference with the Gamma Iota Sigma folks, you know, it's really in front of my face right now about these kids trying to get out there into the industry and maybe producers or maybe agency leaders are hiring from the college focus. Maybe they're not, maybe, you know, so I want to kind of unpack that with you for just a little bit. I don't care if you focus on producers or account managers, I'd love for you to get in some hiring practices on account managers. If you could. And the reason why is because there is such a shortage right now. And I can't tell you how many times I get phone calls from colleagues that are like, hey, I've got this position. I would really like somebody with some experience. Do you know anybody? And I call around and there isn't anybody. And I'm like, "Ah, I'll keep my ear to the ground or I'll ask around. But everybody's looking for the same position. It feels like in two and three months later, these positions are still open. So where do we get these people from? How do we pull them in? What do you do?
1: Yeah. So we could go for an hour (laughs) now. Uh (laughs) Yes. Let's, let's, um, (laughs) let's, let's start with the account manager piece because that's probably the shortest and easiest to answer. But I think that the problem is, you know, we're trying to recycle the same people just by hiring from another agency or maybe looking on the carrier side or a wholesaler or whatever else. There's only so many people already in the insurance industry that are worth doing that. That doesn't mean. That those other people aren't worth anything. It just means it's not even worth wasting your time trying to talk to them because they're setting their job. They're not going to leave to come with you. If they did, it would be exorbitantly expensive. And, you know, then let's face it, then there's a bunch that have one foot out the door too and probably don't want to bring them in because they're going to mess with your culture and everything else. And so when I launched my agency, I made the decision that in order for me to build the talent the way that I needed to build it in my organization I had to go outside the industry period so I can tell you from an account manager perspective I have 3 that are really really good that are legacy players one with almost 20 years experience and then a couple others that are just short of 10 and that's the backbone of our of our service team in the agency and I can bring people in from outside the industry that don't have as much experience they have it on lockdown they can teach them we augment that with some you know, with training from total CSR, we have people enrolled in national alliance programs because I'm a big believer, especially for the salespeople got to have a foundational technical knowledge, got to have a proven and replicable sales process. And I will never teach people the coverage piece, just not interested in that in my program. It's that's what the national alliance does. That's what they're really good at. That's where my designations are from. So go there. And by the way, If you can, they've got a great subscription deal right now and you can subscribe to the website.
0: Why are we on this podcast? (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're doing it all for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, and I mean, and and I tell 100% of the people that I talk to right now that if you want that foundational technical knowledge, National Alliance had to pivot this year with COVID and create this subscription to the website and you can now go get that education for a fraction of the cost or actually about what it would cost you to take one module if you had to travel and stay at the hotel. Right, absolutely. So get the whole thing for 700 bucks. It's insane. Yeah. How are you
0: guys making any money? I don't know, to be honest
2: with you. Right? We're, so, we're not yeah. the money people. So Yeah, so, <laughs> but,
1: but I mean, that's the deal. So we, so we run people through programs like that. But I'm going to tell you guys, the hack is if you're looking for really good account manager candidates, look for bank tellers, look for office cashiers from retail uh, locations because they're, they're detail-oriented and they're going to pay attention and look for paralegals. If you can find any of the three of them that have that experience and are looking for a job, that skill set that they had to have to function properly in their job transfers directly over to being an account manager or a CSR.
0: Right. So I would, I would quantify those as get your own, grow your own kind of situation. Yay or nay? 100%.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So not every,
0: not every agency is going to be in the position because some of them are not thinking far enough ahead. And that's probably a whole nother topic and tangent that you could go off on. About, but this
1: podcast is going to make them do that.
0: Right. Absolutely. That, yes, that was one of the points that I wanted to make is that you can't wait until you're in dire needs for something. You can't wait until your account managers are raising the red flags and saying, we are out of breath here. We need somebody else. Because it's so hard, like you said, to take from somebody else. It's it's going to come at a, at a higher cost because you're having to move them ad- you, the laterally to the same position, basically. You've got to make it more appealing, Right. So it's going to be beneficial to always be looking ahead and see where you can get this, get your own, grow your
2: own type of situation. So thank you so much for that I always hire before I
1: need. Yes. Yeah, I hire before I need people. You have to. Well,
2: one of the things that, that we've talked a lot about lately is, you know as you know, we've got these different college programs with Gamma, Iota, Sigma, but we also have a CISR high school program. Hmm. And just this past summer, we had our first uh, group of graduates that graduated high school while having completed their CISR designation. Wow! And especially with with what we're seeing with the, the college career path and, and massive student loans, it is important for a lot of kids to recognize that the traditional four year college path does not necessarily have to be for everybody. But it uh, you do have availability to get your designations and go out of high school directly into the workforce. So. How would you feel about that? What if, what would your reaction be to seeing some high school students with those designations?
1: Oh, I I'm completely agnostic to what somebody's mm-hmm. age is. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you're in high school and you want to work and you prove to me you want to work, I'm gonna go to I'm take you to battle with me any day of the week. We actually dial it back even further than that. We start in elementary school. <laughs> so I, mm-hmm. I'm being dead serious when I say this. I, I, me and several of my producers speak at the Great American Teach-In every single year because we want to show people that this is actually a really cool industry if you want it to be, and you can have a great financial future. So I have a deal where I will go in. um, I went in last year the year before. I don't remember which. Um, No, we didn't do it last year because of COVID. So it was the year before. And one of my kids had me come in and I actually got the pleasure of speaking to one of my kids' classes. And I went in and I talked to them about how to build passive revenue streams in the insurance industry. These kids are in like fifth grade, right? (laughs) Wow. But what we did, and and now I dialed (laughs) it down a lot, but what we did was we created a website for a very simple insurance product that I have a contract with that company. And we created a quote bind issue landing page and I showed them how you drive traffic to that. And the quid pro quo was that if they were good and they paid attention, that I would donate 100% of the revenue that we got from that specific landing page to their classroom. And we were able to buy them a dozen Kindles.
2: Oh my goodness.
1: Awesome. So I want kids to see, like remember when they're, re- when they're getting into high school or going to college, Hey, who was that guy that came in and built that website and we got the mm-hmm. Kindles? What you, that was insurance? Are you kidding me? And it's like when we go after college interns, Like, that's a huge deal for me. We have an internship. We, we try to have an intern every summer. Um, and I don't look for people that are in insurance and risk management. I want marketing interns, because if I can find somebody with marketing chops that wants to do that, I can show them the really fun side of the insurance industry, let them market, let them play to their strengths. And then before they even know it, I've backdoored them into a producer's (laughs) role, you know, so that they, they realize, oh my gosh, I can make this kind of money just doing what I really like anyhow. And so. You know, whether it be Florida State or um, South Florida, are the two places we typically pull from, when we pull those people in, they're, they're marketing interns. I have a relationship with the university. I have to fill out evaluations and grade them and everything else. But when they walk in the front door, I tell them, look, I know you, real, you probably thought you were coming to a marketing internship, but I'm going to let you know I'm, we're getting ready to change your life. This is so much more than that for you. We're going to have you start, and you're going to build an entire vertical market for our, our company and you're going to do it from soup to nuts. I'll be here to oversee it. We've got a knowledge base that we've already built out because we've done it before, but we teach them everything from website landing page creation to graphic design to content uh, curation, search engine optimization, some coverage stuff, but we want them to get the marketing stuff out of the way. And you know, We have built two very successful vertical markets, Florida Wedding Insurance and Florida Fitness Insurance with college interns. And then the offer is that when you graduate, if you want to come back, this will be your baby. You can have this. You can run this, and I will pay you your share of the commission. And they they walk in the door, and in many times, in in both of those cases, those two things are cash flowing enough. I don't have any risk in bringing them in because I've got enough money to cover whatever I have to pay them and then stop. That's awesome.
0: I
2: don't know what to say.
0: I'm speechless at
1: the moment.
2: I mean, (laughs) I'm just thinking wait, you're an insurance agency? Because that is you know, so much uh, more comprehensive than what you see most agency principals get involved in. So, okay.
1: That's because I like marketing. I don't like insurance. Where did- <laughs> I, mean, I like to market. Okay.
0: I just said that I was speechless. My brain kickstarted again. Where did this vision start for you? Because this, I mean, I'm still like, how'd you go from Winn-Dixie to here? And yes, I hear about the transferable skills. But, but like she said, and you're an insurance, though, like, what, where did this vision start for you? How did you?
1: I'm, I'm an entrepreneurial person. So, if there's an opportunity, I'm going to seize it. That means that nine out of 10 times I make really bad decisions, but I course correct, cut bait, and stop doing that. Right. But the one out of 10 that, say that three times fast. Yeah. The one, the, (laughs) the one out of 10 that hits is usually a home run. So, I just keep trying new things and doing what I can to innovate. And, you know, I think that's really just the fact that I enjoy, playing with different mousetraps all the time and seeing what I can do to change the game. And, you know, I've never been somebody that's going to follow the lemmings over the cliff. If I see the industry going left, I'm going to immediately go right because I don't want to do what they're doing. I know that if I forge ground that nobody else has attempted to conquer, that I'm going to ultimately come out with much better results. I mean, it might be an easier path for me to do things the way they've always been done, but that's not fun. You know, that doesn't breed the culture that we have here at this point. We have an extremely entrepreneurial culture where people are encouraged to think for themselves. And I listen. Number one, first and foremost, agency principles. If you're listening to what I'm saying right now, listen to your people. We have a massive problem of control without collaboration. We have the old guard that's got one foot out the door that doesn't want to listen to the millennial And meanwhile, all they're doing is screwing their multiple or their ability to get bought out through distributions by their existing team. Listen to what these people have to say. You will learn more about marketing and messaging that's going to carry your agency to the next decade or two decades if you just stop and realize you don't know it all. And how it's always been done is not how it's always going to be done.
2: Yep. And I think that's huge. And one of the themes that we've noticed and we've touched on a little bit earlier is that there is a huge age problem within the industry. Most of the experience is aging out. And I I remember where you, well when you guys were saying what qualifies you as a young agent. Well, relatively speaking, what's considered young in this industry? Right, fifties uh, young is probably <laughs> a little bit exactly. And and a lot of people just rest on the their laurels on the volume and and years of experience they have, as opposed to the diversity of experience that they have. So I think that's one of the great things that you have uh, in in your, your helping to kind of bridge that gap, expanding outside of just the way that things have been done.
1: Yeah, 100%. The one thing that everybody always gets their mind blown with, unequivocally, every time I talk, is how we hire producers because the way that we hire producers is so outside the box that people short circuit when they hear it, but then it makes so much sense. They're like, why didn't I come up with this on my own? Right.
0: Let's talk about how you hire producers here in just a second. I have one question that I want to ask you as you were going into your tangent about getting agency owners, agency principals to listen. And and because we do, Again, we shift towards the account manager just a little bit. If you've got, if if I've got a cat, you said agency principals, listen to me, account managers listen to me or listen to David rather about the question I'm going to ask. If you've got an agency principal that's just not listening, do you have any advice about how you, how to get your principal or your agency leader or somebody to listen to you and shift their mindset just enough to where we can, you know, kickstart their brains?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think part of it too is that many of the people that are in the younger generation are too timid, right? And they're afraid that they're going to get shot down. So they don't put themselves out there to ask the questions. Now, you don't have that problem with somebody. I wouldn't say problem. You don't have that phenomenon as much with somebody who's a producer because they're of the mindset that they're going to go out and talk to strangers and everything. But if you look at who the account managers are, they're not producers and i don't mean that in a negative way that's just not what their skill set is right. they're used to talking to people over the phone they're used to you know dealing with people over email and they do a really good job at what they're doing but it's just a different skill set and right. so if if you're talking to the account manager about how are you going to get your point across the, the first thing i would say is try like have you even tried that yet you know don't just automatically assume that somebody's going to squash you now in many cases they very well may and you may need to go back and retailer your message to get their attention. But you know, I don't think that anybody out there, no matter how controlling an agency principal is, if, uh, if somebody came up to them and said, hey, look, I've got an idea. I'd really like to share it with you. Would you give me five minutes of your time? If you're an agency principal and you can't do that, like seriously, we need to just get a giant dunk tank in Austin and invite <laughs> all of the account managers in and stick that guy in the middle of it and throw softballs at it all day until he's tired of getting drenched. And then maybe we can change the thought process. But I think that's the first thing is you've got to be willing to take the step and put yourself out there and try. If you do that two or three times and you're not getting that person's attention or they're not giving you the time that you need, go find a- another agency to work at. Okay. Yeah. We've already established sure. there's a shortage of talent in this industry. Don't reward them by sticking around.
0: Exactly. Yes. Thank you for hitting that point. There may be a shortage of talent, but there's not a shortage of opportunity. So, okay, let's now that we I got that out. Let's talk about your your hiring strategy for producers. What blows people away, David?
1: <laughs> yeah. So the deal is, um, we all know you, you got to grow them on trees for all practical purposes. They, they, <laughs> they, they they're homegrown, and so. I feel like, again, in order to be successful in the industry, you have to have technical ability. You have to have sales ability. The most successful producers that I know are hybrids, right? I'm a good salesperson. I'm confident in saying that. I'm not arrogant in saying that. I, I've proven it. Numbers don't lie. I'm also really good technically, but thanks to the National Alliance. You know, I've got my CIC. I've got my CRM. That's what makes me deadly at the point of sale. I can do the sales stuff that I need to do to get in front of somebody, but then I will also slice and dice everything I need to about the insurance program and the total cost of risk and all the other things that we talk about when I get there. You're not going to find that hybrid just walking around the streets because those people are really successful producers. They've either got equity because their agency principal is progressive in their thought process and they got the golden handcuffs on early enough. Or they're entrepreneurial like me, and they just get irritated and leave and start their own agency. But in my mind, good producers are not walking around looking for a job. They're not good producers. Okay? So I decided instead of trying to look and compete and having to come up with a bunch of money to bring somebody who has already proven their success on, that I would just bring people in from outside the industry again. So I focus solely on business-to-business salespeople. If you sell payroll, if you sell credit card processing, office supplies, office equipment, IT services any of that stuff where you don't have a residual income, I want you to come be a producer for me. I will teach you how to do that. I will teach you what you need to do to come in and learn the insurance piece because we're going to put you in the CIC program right out of the box. And then we're going to teach you the sales process that we use for prospecting and marketing and all of that stuff internally. That's awesome. But I want to bring those people in because of uh, number one, they most of the time are working for a Fortune 500 company and have had stellar sales experience and training. They're not afraid to go out and knock on doors. All I need to do is teach them my, my stuff. So we start the relationship very informally. It becomes a referral relationship. I might go and meet with one of my clients and say, Hey, I haven't asked you this before, but who's your payroll rep? Who are you buying payroll from? And they'll tell me and say, Would I get along with that person? And if they say yes, I ask him to make an introduction and we go and we have a cup of coffee and we talk. And then we decide whether or not it's going to be a good fit where we'll you know, refer business back and forth. And so once we do that, it becomes a little more formal because I have one rule. We're going to meet, well, two rules. We're going to meet once a month. And every time we meet, we each bring two booked appointments. That doesn't mean, hey, this guy's expecting you to call maybe. This is, I've booked an appointment with one of my clients. I'd like for you to come in and talk about your value proposition to my client and we do that for a period of 4 or 5 months. And at that point, if we've been doing well in, you know, writing business as a result and they've been doing well in writing business as a result, I lay it out. I print out a sales report and say, "Hey, you know, over the course of the last 5 months, my firm has written $200,000 in agency revenue from referred accounts from you." And if you were working in my industry, you'd have made $80,000. Actually, let me rewind for a second. I'd say, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, why are you selling payroll? Are you happy doing that? You have no residual income, blah, 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 blah. And then I get into the numbers and say, well, over the last five months, we produced about $200,000 in revenue. And if you worked in my firm, you'd have made $80,000. And they're like, oh, right? They, yeah. They start out defensive, but within 24 hours of me planting that initial seed of asking them if they're happy where they're at and all of that, I get the email or the phone call and then we meet and then I start laying the numbers out. But we go we go into that. And I ask them, you know, is it something you would be interested in? And always it's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I can make that kind of money and have that much fun and flexibility and schedule and everything, why wouldn't I want to do that? Right. And so I ask them, what do you need and what do you want? Because I'm going to show you how to get what you need and you're going to have to go earn what you want. And we establish that number. We track all of the revenue that they have referred in all the way back to when they first started referring counts over. And when Their annual compensation on a commission-only basis reaches the point that it meets their number that they need. We make them the offer to come on board. When they walk in the door to Florida Risk, they're completely validated. They take a commission-only job because I hand them the book of business that they referred to me. I had the benefit of that revenue for the time that they weren't working with me. And people always say, well, did you give them referral revenue for referring it? No, moron. I handed them <laughs> referrals too, and they closed <laughs> business in real time. Did they give me revenue for all the payroll deals I sent them? No, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. And so they come in the door and I have zero concern about the financial end of it because they have validated. Otherwise, we wouldn't have made the offer. And the other piece of it is, I'm not going to lose any business because these are their relationships that they referred in. We've proven we can handle them on the risk management side. They've already got the personal relationships. So there's no attrition in the book that they referred when we hand it to them. If you think about it, most of the time, this is a 12 to 18 month process. What happens? Well, I told you four to five months is when I analyze it and plant the seed. Well, if I don't like this person, I don't have to plant the seed. I'll just let them keep referring me business. And I don't need to disrupt the culture of my organization by talking to them about coming in. But if I do like them, I've got 12 to 18 months of that relationship before they refer enough business in. I've been on new business appointments with their clients, with my clients. I can see how they interact with people. I've got a good gauge on their moral compass at that point. I can interview people at a detailed level in real time that you never can get just by sitting down and talking to somebody for 30 minutes or an hour.
0: Yeah, man, that's amazing. I love it. And that's exactly what you delivered uh, at the, the Insurers of Tennessee is what drew me to that and just and the way you deliver it. And it, it's everything, man. I love it. Thank you so much for, out, uh, for laying that out. Thank you so much for talking about account managers. I think talking about both of them, I know there's account managers out there somewhere that think, man, I could do this. I could be a producer. And I hope they hear this podcast. And I hope they find somebody like you or hell, just find you. And and say, you know, I want to take that next step because that's one thing that happens with account managers is sometimes they are afraid to take the next step when they've got what it takes to do that. So I think this I think this message works really well together to talk about, you know, the hiring practices of account managers as well as what you're doing for producers and just how how freeing your process can be for somebody and just how foundationally sure you are by the time you get to that point of onboarding them into your agency because of the process that you take. You know, if there's an agency leader out there that's struggling to figure out how to bring more talent into this industry and they're constantly pulling from the same pool or trying to find like-minded people for the industry, you know, the plan and the thoughts and the thinking outside the box that you just brought to this conversation is everything. So what's next for David? You've got so much motivation. You've got a book that's coming out. You've got all these big ideas (laughs) to wear.
1: (laughs) Haven't thought that far in advance yet. I honestly don't believe it's ever going to (laughs) happen. Right.
0: I'm seriously watching you, uh, you know, through this, this interaction right now. And you've got so many wheels spinning. I can tell, but you're staying focused on our conversation at the same time. I can tell your directions over here and over there and down there. It's amazing what you're doing. Uh, So that's why, you know, what's next for, for David, you've got so much going on right now.
1: In all transparency, and I share this because I know there are people out here who need to hear this, but um, I am all over the place, right? But I'm diagnosed, like officially diagnosed with ADHD. They didn't, you know what the cure was for that when I was a kid? A switch or a wooden spoon or a yardstick or whatever my parents could find to break it on my rear end. We didn't have Adderall back then. And so I'm supposed to actually take that. And the reason why I always have so many projects that are going on simultaneously is because I deal with that affliction 100% of the time. I don't I don't medicate for it because I feel like it takes me off my edge when I'm selling. So for me, my normal world is having 15 things go on at once. I have to have that or I just, I can't live. I don't feel right. And so I tell people it's like, an, I'm an air traffic controller. There's 15 <laughs> planes and I'm gonna have all of them landed exactly like they needed to be. But if you come into my office and you start freaking out because you see 15 planes, you know going around get out because you're going to distract me. I would be so ineffective if I only had one thing to concentrate on every day that I would never I would never make it in this industry. I that's why I have so many things.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because we've actually just had a series of episodes in talking about the different cognitive differences that you can have in this industry. For instance, I also have ADHD, you know, but I have the ADHD type I where if there's too much going on, I shut down. And so especially because we do have a a good part of our listeners are college and high school students. And we want to give them that encouragement to let them know, hey, this is a great industry, regardless of there's all the different ways that someone's brain can brain can operate. And the insurance industry does have a home for you, regardless of what that function looks like. So I'm so glad that you brought that up.
0: Right. No, I'm actually really glad that you brought it up, too, because it it, it just goes back to this message is going to be received by more than one person that can say, I have ADHD, too, and I can be just as freaking awesome as David Carruthers is and, and you know, and, and make something. And it's OK if there's 15 planes flying around. I can see your planes. i like, I felt it. <laughs> I can see your planes flying. But I'm I'm the type that I'm like I like to have 15 planes up in the air too because I'm going to get bored at any split second so I need another I need another plane to catch my attention to be like hey come over here and fly with me. Um so no that's awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. You guys if you're listening go to Power Producers podcast because I'm honestly sure that you're probably already there but if you're not please go subscribe to that podcast because it's simply amazing. Even if you're not in the producer role there's so much energy that you guys bring that it's just like I don't care if you listen to the whole podcast or not 15 minutes with you on a podcast (laughs) is enough to get me going. I don't even need a cup of coffee. Listen,
1: the fact of the matter is it'll get you inside a producer's head and might make you more effective in your communication because I am pure producer.
0: Absolutely. And I am an advocate for everybody needs to be communicating on every freaking level. I need to know what my producers are doing. My producers need to know what I'm doing. I need to be involved with my agency principal and some of the decisions that he's making, at least to be a fly on the wall so that I know how what I do impacts him and how what he does is going to change me. So, you know, I just I, I love communication on every single level and having all different types of podcasts is where it's at, too, because when you don't get to be a part of those conversations in your industry or in your agency, I'm sorry, not industry, but in your agency, you can be a part of those conversations somewhere else and learn how to have those conversations within your agency and transform your own culture. So, David, thank you so much for being here today. I cannot wait to see what you do next and and just watching every move that you make, because it gives me so much energy to keep going myself, <laughs> even though we're on completely different paths. Man, I just want to run alongside you sometimes.
1: Truly my pleasure. I really appreciate y'all having me on. Privileged to be here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for hanging around for another Awkward Conversation in
2: Insurance. Stay tuned for new episodes from Awkward Insurance wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out the National Alliance on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or at SCIC.com. Now go forth and be awkward. Toodles. Toodles.